And then a week after we made those upgrades, we experienced a, a large cyber event, I mean, probably the largest cyber event in the public history of the U.S. government. HHS Protect is driving the clinical trials in the sense that the data is identifying areas where outbreak may occur, which is correlated with successful clinical trials and speeding them up. In the healthcare space, I, I think it's going to fundamentally change the way healthcare is delivered. I think that the pandemic will force the healthcare system to become more patient-centric. Federal IT operations, time and again, have proved to be the resilient lifeline to vital citizen services during the COVID-19 pandemic. As government and society map the path to recovery, Maritalk is chronicling the untold stories and lessons of how government IT has innovated on the fly to meet the demands of the crisis and anchor more resilient services going forward. Welcome to the podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. In this installment, we turn to the Department of Health and Human Services this episode brought to you by Sienna and Google. With the primary missions of protecting the health of all Americans and providing essential human services, HHS bore the brunt of the coronavirus pandemic. Its component agencies, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, Food and Drug Administration, FDA, National Institutes for Health, NIH, and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, live on the front lines of public health. Jose Arrieta, Chief Information Officer and Chief Data Officer for HHS until his departure at the end of August, told the story of HHS's IT missions in two chapters. The first is a race for resiliency, in the face of massive cyber attacks early on in the pandemic. The second is the birth of a COVID-19 data gathering and analytics operation that promises to pave the nation's way out of the crisis. The CIO level effort involved additions of data circuits, big jumps in VPN capacity, firewall upgrades, and a transition to 95% telework on the day after one of the largest cyber assaults the agency has ever seen. On the CDO level, Arietta explains the intricacies of taking billions of crucial healthcare data elements from thousands of sources, creating access management systems to ensure privacy and security, and leveraging machine learning technologies to drive higher value insights as science races for the cure. So, Jose, as CIO and CDO at HHS, what were some of your largest priorities and successes during the last five months? What accomplishments are you proudest of? The first kind of thing that I'm most proud of is that early in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we actually made a decision to add circuit capability uh, across our TICAPs for the HHS internet. We have one of the largest internet surface areas in the world and in the U.S. government because we're a, we're a data sharing organization, right? So we're, we're a million doors and windows. We upgraded our VPN capabilities and we upgraded our firewalls. Was we made the investments to make our network resilient. And then a week after we made those upgrades, we experienced a, a large cyber event, I mean, probably the largest cyber event in the public history of the U.S. government, not speaking about anything that's classified. The event we experienced was literally Sunday, and like the teleworking was starting on Monday. 
I'm very proud of the fact that we, as a community, as a CIO community across all of HHS, that we went ahead and made that investment in advance, uh, and that we were able to, you know, push maximum telework at HHS, and nobody experienced a flip from a service perspective. So about that cyber attack, what can you put on the record for us? The event we experienced over 18 hours was when you talk to a commercial company and tell them they cannot believe the size and the scale and the scope. So uh, the team did an amazing job. And then the community, the government community, really came to our aid and supported us. And, and Suzette was a key player in that. And I'll always be appreciative to her for her leadership. Uh, DHS CISA was an amazing partner. They immediately mobilized and provided tools and support. And then we also partnered with entities within DOD to provide support. There were follow-on events and, and we were extremely resilient and I think we're managing it well. And how many HHS employees are teleworking and how much did the agency have to boost its VPN capacity to handle that? We have 83,000 employees and then we have another 80,000 uh, contractors we got to well over 95% of telework. You know, we are a large scale data sharing entity. And so, you know, you have to remember if HHS were a holding company, we'd be the largest insurance company in the world in CMS or the largest financial services company in the world. We would be the largest marketing firm in the world. When you look at all the data that we collect, we would be the sixth largest hospital system in the world and the largest funder of research on the face of the earth. When we think about VPN, each of those kind of, if they were businesses, they each have different needs. Each of those functions that I mentioned have different needs. So depending on the function, it would depend on the multiple with which we increased VPN. So uh, at a place like, you know, the FDA or the NIH uh, would be able to leverage the VPN multiple times over should they need to because of the fact that it's a data sharing entity. The same thing with the FDA. In organizations that are less data-centric, we increased it one and a half times over. Thank you. The HHS Protect Project for Sharing Pandemic Data has become a very important resource in responding to COVID-19. How did that come about? We started working on HHS Protect on April 5th. We received a small proof of concept from CDC, and then we launched HHS Protect on April 10th. All 50 states and all six territories are taking data from it and sharing data with it. HHS Protect is driving the clinical trials in the sense that the data is identifying areas where outbreak may occur, which is correlated with successful clinical trials and speeding them up. We named it HHS Protect because it's about protecting people. Can you walk us through some of the data science behind it and some of the project goals? What we wanted to do is turn the United States inside out from a public health perspective and create that visibility so that first responders, and policymakers, uh, leaders in the community had an understanding of what was actually happening in the United States so that they could respond better. There's no public health information in HHS Protect and there's no PII in HHS Protect. Uh, we have data on hospital bed availability. We have data on ventilator availability. We have all of the commercial and lab test data in the United States. We also have probably like 80, 85% of the private hospital lab and tribal lab data in the United States. We have data from, of the 6,200 hospitals, we, we regularly receive data from somewhere between 5,000 and 5,800 hospitals. Like this is like direct integration. 
I would say about 50% of the data we're pulling from uh, open source capabilities that exist in the marketplace. And then the other 50% are data sets within federal, state, and local partners or commercial partners, and, and they're you know, providing them. Great. And what about metrics from the project? Can you share any of that? I'm super proud of my team. You know, to be able to pick up that project on April 5th, launch it on April 10th, uh, hit 2.5 billion data elements on April 28th, and get to 4 billion data elements at this moment is it, pretty awesome. And the other thing that I'm extremely excited for is not only did we amass the data, but then we started to kind of onboard, at, you know, first federal users, then state and local users, and now we're even offering it for insight to congressional leaders. So it's managed, built, and administered by federal employees, all non-political. And what are some of the technical considerations? We've used a modern technology for identity access management. Why? Because every agency has their own identity access management system. Some agencies have multiple. So we layered on top of that. We provide an identity access management authentication solution. Right, so when we think about HHS Protect, we're protecting privacy. It's a cornerstone of what we're doing. Okay, the second thing is, is that we want to be able to share data with people. So we have a modern secure file transfer capability leveraging another commercial technology that we're bolting together. And with that modern uh, secure file transfer capability, you know, Caroline actually has a folder and, and she controls it and she controls the data that she puts in it, and she then has the ability to control and have that visibility into who wants access to her data so that she can directly approve it. So another layer of privacy and security control. So, but we want to take it a step further because not only do we want to protect privacy, not only do we want to protect you know, and be secure, but we wanted to create a level of transparency that had never been created in, in any federal system before. And so the next thing we did is that the second we're using it. Now, this is a third commercial technology that we bolted together. We didn't hire an integrator. We, we did it in-house with federal employees. The third thing we did is when the data actually hits our platform, we create a record of lineage. So we, we literally are creating a record of lineage of the data that is timestamped on a hash for the entire time the data exists on our platform. So if it's curated, if it's parsed, if it's shared, there's a record of all those behaviors, timestamp down to the half second level in time, uh, where you can see everything that was done for that with that data and for that data. So completely uh, transparent. It obviously runs in a commercial cloud environment, which is at the moderate level. But we even want to take it a step further because if you share data, you want to be able to protect the integrity of the data that you share, and so. What we did is we took that hash and we, we put a QR code on top of it, right? And so now when I share a data element or data set, if anyone changes the underlying data, if anyone tries to go in and change the underlying data, we have a record of it. And that is a, a very powerful set of capabilities. So I, I've talked about four of the technologies we've used and, and I just, I wanna highlight all of them because we're bolting together commercial technology. And again, we didn't hire an integrator. We, we did it in-house. I'm super proud of that. How about technology closer to the contributor or user level? We have a mapping technology. So as you start to look at these 4 billion data elements from 225 different data sets across the United States, we can map it out at a very detailed level across the United States, literally to the building level. And we have multiple collect mechanisms. 
instead of making the health sector adjust to us, we created the flexibility to adjust to the health sector so that we could receive the data. So very flexible in terms of how we integrate with maybe a hospital, maybe a state that's submitting information, maybe a lab, maybe an IoT-enabled device that we want to receive some data from that will provide insight. Interesting. What are some of the payoffs? We also are running a commercial capability that's a supervised machine learning platform off of the 4 billion data elements. So we can model 100 outcomes, 100 different outcomes, and 25 simulations on each outcome every minute. And so every user that's doing any type of modeling off of HHS Protect is not only sharing their model, but they're sharing the insights that they've gained. If you know anything about public health surveillance, it's all about being able to see the outbreak as it happens or before it happens, right? That's what allows you to respond with effectiveness. We're creating maximum transparency by doing this. You know, if you move lab supplies to a place where there's going to be an outbreak uh, in advance, it has a significant impact on behavior, right? Because if I get tested and I find out that I have COVID-19, I'm less likely to go out and infect other people. If clinical trials take a long time, then more people are impacted by a disease. But if you have insight into where an outbreak is going to occur so that you can drive to clinical trials on the basis of certain metrics that you need, you can actually finish the clinical trials faster. Can you tell us the technology behind how the data is collected and how that evolved? We had three different ways that we collected data from hospitals, actually four. One was a a small form off of HHS Protect for hospitals that fax. direct integration with states where we can just kind of receive data. One was a system at CDC called NHSN, and then the other was something called HHS teletracking, right? So imagine like tentacles and they all push data into HHS Protect. So a decision was made to use teletracking, HHS teletracking as a mechanism to collect data from hospitals. And the data that is collected all flows into HHS Protect. We were getting somewhere between 4,700 and 5,800 hospital submissions every day of data. But we want to get to that 6,200, 6,400. We want to get the totality of the hospitals in the United States because it's going to impact people. Uh, and that's another thing that I, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of. We have taken an, what I believe is an extraordinary step as the chief data officer, and we have dashboarded all of the data that we're receiving through that collect mechanism. We've also taken a step that has never been taken at HHS before. We've taken the raw data that we collect and we've published it in a location where it can be shared, where it can be shared with the scientific community, where it can be shared with aspiring scientists. So they can use the data and the, and the modeling work that we did to either test our model or they can use the data that we posted to run their own model. And, and I think that that is a truly a step in the direction of transparency and data sharing But I'm very proud because what we are doing is we are generating a conversation across the United States on the importance of data sharing. Okay, Jose, switching gears a little bit, what do you think your greatest lesson learned since the pandemic is? If you could time travel back four and a half months ago, what would have been your advice to get ready? Sleep is very important. So your wife is extremely important. Seeing your kids is important. And we've been working seven days a week since March 15th in the technology function. You know, it has just been a grind. In all seriousness, I, I think that the biggest lesson learned for me is agencies need to modernize their identity access management you know, capabilities. The cyber event that we experienced 
as I learned more about it and I reached out to like commercial companies and, and their CIOs and actually asked questions and some of the CISO community, you know, larger companies, what I found is that everybody's experiencing these types of events. They're focused on identity access management. It's definitely a weak point. And the lack of flexibility with identity access management and authentication makes it very hard to share data, makes it very hard to modernize and do supervised machine learning and unsupervised machine learning. Supervised machine learning and unsupervised machine learning require flexible identity access management authentication capabilities. They also require flexible data sharing and integration tool sets. And instead of replatforming everything, if you focus on connecting an ecosystem so that you can bring data together to run predictive analytics, you can dramatically and dynamically change your view of what's going on within your organization. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. The second thing that I would say is a lesson learned is that building in pieces by integrating commercial technologies allows you to go so much faster. You really have to commit to objective-based contracting. When you do that, it puts a lot of pressure on you and your staff because it requires a lot of communication and it can be absolutely exhausting. But if you find a company that you're comfortable interacting with in that way, like going through the competitive process and all that, you know, you can really, really make a difference rapidly and very quickly by integrating commercial technologies and not relying so much on an integrator. There's roles for integrators, but forcing yourself to sit in those shoes is, is extremely important. Okay, big picture. What do you think will change in our government and in our society moving forward because of the COVID-19 experience? I think that you'll see uh, increased prevalence of distributed ecosystems. And I think that what the pandemic has done is it's forced an investment in technology. That investment in technology has been, you know, and for us, it's been focused on the response. But it forced us to get comfortable with some modern technologies that I think would have taken years to change culture and get folks comfortable using. But we, we had to do it out of necessity. In the healthcare space, I, I think it's going to fundamentally change the way healthcare is delivered. I think that the pandemic will force the healthcare system to become more patient-centric. I think that the patient would be the distributed entity. I think there'll be modernized infrastructure that allows for digital identity amongst machines, testing devices, machines, government, individuals. When you empower individuals with the ability to kind of maintain health information and connect with a doctor or a pharmacy electronically, I think that fundamentally shifts the industry. But the pandemic itself has driven that change. When we think about the cyber events that we survived at HHS, one of the reasons that we were successful is because, remember I talked about how we have multiple tie caps. It gave us a lot of resiliency and a lot of flexibility to be redundant. Well, it may look fragmented. I mean, initially I thought maybe it's not the ideal way to deliver a solution. It actually became the ideal way to deliver a solution. It also gave us the ideal platform to modernize off of. We wouldn't have known that had we not experienced, you know, the event that we experienced. Right. Okay, last question. Would you like to give any shout-outs to your team members at HHS or departments that have been particularly valuable as you navigate this pandemic response? So the CISA team from DHS has been amazingly supportive and we're appreciative of that. Suzette Kent and Grant Schneider at OMB, and, and there were a number of folks at OMB that were uh, amazingly uh, supportive. 
you know, the industry partners that we have done business with, more than just the eight uh, commercial companies that I mentioned, they were commercial technologies that I didn't mention, but I referenced, have been really amazing partners and they've been working just as hard as us. And the direct members of my team, Karen Ashmore, Robin Collins, John Schumer-Vicoro, Janet Vogel, Cam Kellick, Kevin Duvall, and I spend a lot of time on the phone with these guys uh, or on Zoom calls have been um, unbelievable. So the entire team and then our service team that has like made sure everybody has a laptop, make sure everybody has internet connectivity, made sure that we got phones and computers out rapidly for all the folks that are kind of helping us in their response. And then, you know, we've had wonderful support from contracting function. Um, Michael McFarland, uh, James Simpson, uh, Jen Browning have been absolutely uh, fantastic from a contracting perspective. And you can't do any of this uh, without contracting. Uh, the secretary, our secretary has been supportive. Our deputy secretary has been amazing. And then there's a couple of folks that are staffers, uh, Nick Ulecki, Will Brady. Um, there's a number at this that have really kind of helped us navigate when you're working at this speed and we are fundamentally changing our entire business model at HHS and we have to, you know, there's not a lot of time to communicate. So being able to tell somebody something in a very short period of time and, and then being able to communicate that message to the right people so that you can just focus on executing, it, it's really a huge asset. Partnership with DOD and partnership with the Army has been wonderful. So there's so many people to thank. And of course, my family, who has been extremely supportive. Today, we've been chatting with Jose Arrieta, CIO and CDO for the Department of Health and Human Services. Jose, thanks for taking the time out to chat with us today. Well, I appreciate the time. And thank you, listeners, for joining Meritalk's podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. We hope you'll continue to join us as we take a look at Federal IT's reaction to the crisis, the challenges faced along the way, and, ultimately, the success stories that have kept America rolling. This episode was brought to you by Sienna and Google. 